humanities and social sciences. Welcome to another episode of Oh the Humanities and the Social Sciences, the hashtag hashtag podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Matt Esterman, who's going to be talking about professional learning opportunities for teachers. All right, I'm joined by Matt Esterman uh, for this episode of the podcast. Hello, Matt. G'day, how are you going? Well, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, giving up your time to join us for the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure, mate. Uh, now, Matt, um, before we start talking about uh, uh, professional development, uh, what to look for, um, what you know, what to avoid, particularly in the sphere of everyone now um, is, particularly in New South Wales, is accredited uh, and has to maintain their their professional development. Um, have a bit of an introduction to yourself. What's your role in education? Uh, your role in Hass? Sure. So um, my background is as a history and English teacher, um, and I've taught at three schools so far, um, and uh, mainly girls' schools. So um, Bridget and College at St Ives and St Scholastica's in Glebe were my, my two main roles before um, I went around and did a couple of different things over the past couple of years, and then I've landed now at um, Trinity Grammar, where my um, title is, I think, uh, Teaching and Learning Integrator, which is based in the Senior School Library. And basically, I'm a, I'm a teacher of... Um, I'm not quite a librarian, but I can do a bunch of stuff that librarians do as well. Um, and uh, and but I'm based in the library as sort of a, a mole for for several of the departments um, who can sort of call on me for support. And and I really try and bring the library out to the departments because sometimes the library is seen as something separate and different over there. Um, and we're really trying to bring the library into sort of the normal ebb and flow of the school. Um, and the guys there have been doing a great job. Um, Steph Gaspari, who's the director of um, the libraries, she's been working over the last few years to, to really bring that about. And it's a wonderful team and I'm very lucky. So I've, I've done that. So I've had a few different experiences um, of schools um, and involved in TeachMeet as well, uh, which has been just wonderful over, for about four, seven years now. Um, we've run a whole bunch of teach meets around Australia um, and people have really taken it up and made it their own, which is exactly what it should be. Um, and it's now a really cool network movement, whatever you want to call it, um, just informal cross-sector um, collaboration of, of different people. And um, that's what I love about it. And it's sort of like a human face-to-face version of Twitter, um, which can be great and, and it can have its limitations, but it's um, really worthwhile. So I guess the teaching and the teach meet are the two things I've been most involved with professionally. Thanks very much for that. Now, um, you, as you say, you are based in the library and you are doing um, a lot of work in, in, in trying to get the library out to the departments. Um, so you sort of, you've got a teaching role and you've got sort of um, that, that um, inside the library role, I believe you called yourself a little bit of a mole. Um, what, do you prefer just being in the classroom, having only a class, a teaching load, or do you like being out of the room? Like what, what, um, what, do, what do you prefer? Um, it's hard to say really because they're both really different. Like... Um I I really loved being in the classroom and focusing on that and um, I've loved having different bits of like being an e-learning coordinator and the technology side of things at, at my previous school um, and I've enjoyed the different roles, being a consultant in different um, facets for the last couple of years. Um, but I, I think it's, it's really hard to make that instant connection with students when you're not directly in the classroom um, it's also hard to make that direct connection with your colleagues too. Um, and I'm sure people who get promotions find this, um, especially the higher up you go, um, is that the further away from the coalface that you are, 
um, the harder it is to establish and maintain those really important relationships. So I guess that's the challenge for me. Um, and, and I guess when you say prefer, well, it's, um, yeah, they're two different roles, I suppose. It's kind of like saying, you know, do you prefer being a pastoral care coordinator or do you prefer being a subject coordinator? Like they're, you know, they might have the same kind of status at a school, but they have totally different job descriptions, you know, and responsibilities. So I do miss being in the classroom full time. Um, and who knows, I might be back there, um, you know, just we'll see how it goes. But I do enjoy having a bit of teaching and then having this more um, self-team built role where we really can decide where we want to go and what we want to do within the grand strategy of the school. Yeah. And now, look, I know, you know, regardless of your role in a school, I know the one thing you are very passionate about is professional learning. Yep. For sure. Um, particularly, as you mentioned, your role with TeachMeet, which has been uh, which has been phenomenal. The um, the amount of hours you've put in, along with Simon Harper, of course, um, to really sort of boost it, um, you know, boost the profile of it as as a as a legitimate and worthwhile form of professional development. Yeah, look, I mean, there was a whole bunch of people um, initially yep. and ongoing. And it's um, and that's been part of the success of it. I think is that it hasn't been the Matt Esterman show. It hasn't been the Simon show. It hasn't been anyone's. Um, you know, baby, um, and it and it therefore forces sort of a core group of people um, who are already busy individuals um, to to really try and make it something for everyone, um, which not all PD does um, or even attempts to do. So that's, I guess, where TeachMeet kind of fit in this area where um, we saw workshops and conferences and and the offerings of PD about six or seven years ago to be pretty run-of-the-mill, like they were all the same um, and you, we just felt like there was something missing, that those conversations in between workshops and at the coffee bar and at the bar afterwards and that sort of stuff, that was really rich and it just so happened that we called it TeachMeet and, and that we borrowed that from some people in the UK um, and other places because teachers have been getting together forever, right, and, and getting around the bar or getting around a coffee or getting around a meal um, and just having a chat about what they do. And so all we were doing was kind of giving people a model almost to justify doing it, you know, in, in the fact that we're busier than ever before, that we've got more accountability than ever before. Um, you know, even in the last 10 or 15 years, people like my mum who, who just retired this year after 40, 43 years of teaching um, said, you know, you guys, are you have to do more in terms of paperwork, in terms of accountability and all that, that they ever had to even think about when she started teaching or, or even for a lot of her career. So, um, you know, TeachMeet was this attempt to recognise the informal networks that we have and give people sort of a, hopefully a little bit of legitimacy around actually, you know what, those professional conversations are really important um, and you should dedicate some time and energy and space in your life to them, not just go along to a workshop, sit, listen, and hope that you learn something. They're really increasing in popularity. Uh, you, you go to the TeachMeet website and um, it, it's just it's just exploding in the amount of people that are really taking this on board as a legitimate form of an informal meeting. And a lot of these are now also getting accredited by the New South Wales governing body as well. Mm, yeah, and I guess it's um, – I've always said – it's up to the host whether they want to get it accredited or not. There's no pressure to get it accredited officially um, by the authorities and whatever state that happens to be in. Um, and in some ways it's great not to have that pressure because in the end the TeachMeet is literally, hey, I'm going to be at this cafe or I'm going to be at this pub or I'm going to be at this library or whatever um, and, you know, I'd really love to have a chat about this theme or here's a problem I'm having or a challenge or an idea I've got or whatever and let's let's share those ideas, you know, and everyone gets a turn if you want to turn, some people structure it really highly. 
Um, and if you do get it accredited, often you do have to structure it quite clearly um, uh, to fit the sort of bureaucratic model of what um, professional development looks like to, to those organisations. Um, and and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a different type of teach me. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's had great success. We've had universities host some. We've had, um, you know, um, the Sydney Theatre Company's hosted one, the Powerhouse Museum's hosted a couple, um, Taronga Zoo even hosted one in, in the first couple of years that we did them for a science teach me. Um, and my bucket list was pretty much the Opera House to have one there and we managed to have that a couple of times actually in the last few years. So, um, you know, it's it's interesting that um, although the the informality of it, like the, that little conversation in a pub is really what a teach meet kind of is, um, sometimes it's nice to have those big billboard events where you say, hey, come along to this teach meet where it's in a really special zone. We're celebrating teaching. We're celebrating each other. Um, like bring along your ideas, bring along your conversation. Um, and so it is something slightly different. Even though you might go to the Opera House for professional learning, it's not just sit and listen. It's, it's you know, take part, I suppose, be engaged. Yeah, and, and look, I've, I've hosted, um, organised and hosted a few teach meets uh, in the last few years and I've, and I've attended quite a few and presented at them. And one of the things I really do, you know, do love about them as a professional learning opportunity is that the short, sharp nature of them, mm. it keeps your it keeps your interest. Um, you know, yeah. I'm not sure about you, but I've been, to, I've been to PD days before where you sit and listen to hours and hours of the same person reading from slideshows or uh, whatever it may be and it just drains you. Yeah, and and you walk out of there. You walk out of there thinking, you know, what could I have done better with my time today instead? But I've never felt that at a teach meet. That's fantastic, and that's exactly what teach meets are supposed to be, right? Is a or like a quick taste test of a whole bunch of different ideas. The point being that you then go up to that person who you really resonate with, and you have a chat, and and you they might suggest some readings for you to do, or they might tell you to go to a workshop that they are or someone else is running because they they've vetted it for you in a way, you know. We've had people road test um, their ideas that they will present at a conference later on um, at a teach meet, you know, in seven minutes or even in two minutes just to stand up and actually put in front of their peers an idea that they're about to argue at a big conference or something um, or run a big workshop on it, maybe even a whole day thing and just test the waters and get some feedback. And um, we don't often get that, you know, like literally to be a PD provider in, in New South Wales at least, you need to be an established company and then to put in what workshops you're going to run. And there's very little transparency around the quality of the PD. Um, I'd like to think that most PD that is run in New South Wales, for example, is high quality. I can't speak for the other states. Um, I know several people who are consultants and who are are in organisations that run a lot of PD and there is a lot of great PD out there. But because of the nature of that system of or that, that process, um, of accountability, it needs to form, it needs to be done in a particular way that is familiar, that is repeatable, that's often scalable, um, but that doesn't always work. <laughs> and um, at the same time, like I, like I said, I know a bunch of people who run PD all the time and um, you wouldn't want them to necessarily have to create a brand new workshop for each and every different context Um because people are going to them for some expert advice or going to them because of the workshop they ran at, you know, high school X over the way. Um, but they're sort of locked into that in a way as well, you know. So with, with something like TeachMeet and with more informal networks and with informal experiences, 
you can tailor it. You can see where it goes. You know, it's like those wonderful classes where you start off with the, you know, the learning objective being something about, I don't know, trench warfare in World War One. Sorry, I'm a history teacher. I'm always going to use those those sorts of references. Um, oh, that's perfect. It's a house podcast. Go for it. I'm in safe territory, I know. Um, and, you know, you, you think about, okay, this is what we're going to learn about or learn to do or whatever. And then your class goes on a completely different tangent and you find, and you learn something truly inspiring and something that um, is, you know, serendipitous. And that can happen more often, I would argue, in a teach meet or on Twitter or through these social networks um, when done well than can happen in a predictable must follow the script piece of professional learning. All right. So um, we just finished talking about teach meets. Um, we'll have a look at other other forms of professional development. So yeah. now, again, particularly in New South Wales, with everyone, um, particularly the, you know the pre two thousand and four teachers uh, now coming on board from this year as um, automatically being accredited as proficient in their you know in their teaching field, um, along with all the other you know new scheme teachers as they're known as. Um, they now need to maintain their uh, 100 hours of um, of professional development. So 50 hours of the teacher identifier, which is um, professional development that they see uh, as being beneficial and worthwhile for their job. Yep. Um, and then 50 hours of uh, NESA or, um, you know, the governing body um, mandated or approved um uh, professional development experiences. I guess yep. you call them an experience. Um, so when people are looking for professional learning opportunities, what should they be looking for? What should they be avoiding? What's going to give them, uh, and particularly their school as well, the best value for money? Mm. Um, because you can't, you can't ignore that fact as well. Totally, yeah. Um, and most prof- stuff- professional development budgets are quite thin, yeah. um, particularly for rural schools as well. So if you're going to you know, spend maybe three six, maybe even $800 to send someone to a conference for a couple of days plus a couple of hundred dollars for a casual. For sure. They want to get some sort of return on that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I guess um, the first thing is is that schools need to have a really clear professional learning plan for the whole school um, and and really tie that to their strategic priorities. And here I go trying to tell whole schools what to do. But um, I, I think if individual teacher can't ask that question, like what is our professional learning plan for the school and see what the school is going to provide in the following year. For example, this year, um, you know, your listeners going back to school, going up to say, I don't know, the unlucky deputy principal or something that has to organise all this stuff um, and saying, look, what what is the plan for the school? Um, which of these hours are school-based approved courses which are teacher like that the school will provide but that will count as teacher identified hours um and then yeah what is what is the likelihood or how many days essentially can i take off to do various types of pd um and they're all legitimate questions to ask and and people should because you might be surprised at how much schools are now providing to um to their teachers um so for instance most workshops that are run on site um will be NESA approved. Um, it's in the interest of the professional learning providers to do that um, because it's a, oh, I was about to say it's a huge money train, but that'd be cynical, wouldn't it? Um, but <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's definitely in their commercial interests to be approved as opposed to not be. Um, so anything to do with like, you know, surf life saving, child protection, um, curriculum-based stuff, uh, behaviour management, 
uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that is run in schools, especially by consultants and especially by, you know, the Association of Independent Schools, by the different Catholic systems and by the department, um, they will often, not always, but often be approved because each of those bodies will be approved bodies. So, um, so the question for individual teachers to their coordinators maybe or to their um, principals might be what does the calendar look like you know how many hours is the school providing for me now um after that you know you might find that so the 100 hours um over five years means you've got to do about 20 hours a year um so 10 hours of approved and 10 hours of teacher identified which isn't really that much so if you have a couple of days of pd um, provided by a school per year that might be say four to six hours or thereabouts per day so if most of that's approved, you're probably going to hit your numbers pretty easily, you know, and this is something I was saying to people um, in in a previous role was you don't really have to freak out about it all that much if all you want to do is hit the numbers. The tricky part becomes, as as you alluded to, the, what you individually want to do, you know, what, what targets you have as an individual professional um, separate to everybody else, even separate to people in your team. Um, so, you, like, I love this term called holonomy, which is the kind of tension between the collective and individual goals um, in this case. So you've got the school goals, which might, you know, there might be strategic priorities around, I don't know, technology, um, for example, and the more effective use of that in class. Now, there's a whole debate to be had around what that looks like and how that works and who's responsible for it and all that stuff. But that let's, for argument's sake, say that's the priority. The school might run 10 hours of accredited PD that year on that stuff. Um, any conversations you have with some sort of technology coach or something might be your teacher identified. You might read a few blogs and try a few things in class and then get feedback from your colleagues or something like that. And all that stuff might contribute to your hours per se. But your priority as a professional might be that you want to be a coordinator in a couple of years' time, you know, and so you want to start doing some middle management leadership reading workshops, whatever, and, and different people have different skills areas, right? Like you and I, um, might be strong in a particular area um, of, of middle management, whereas other people might need to brush up on it and vice versa. So, you know, there's there's those two often competing in an economic sense um, priorities where, where individuals have to say, okay, what do I have to do to achieve my role at the school? And then, okay, what should I be doing to prepare myself for the classes I have, the classes I will have, um, the situations I'll find myself in and the, the areas of strength and weakness or improvement um, that I foresee for myself. And sometimes the best person to talk to is someone outside of your department or outside of your direct um, uh, you know, hierarchy and daily experience. So, you know, you and I might chat to a maths teacher about what they're doing um, and how they're going and, and where their um, priorities are because we have the same shared school goals, right, if, we're, if they teach at our school. But individually, we might have completely different approaches to um, to that professional learning pathway and plan. Now, I um, just want to go back to uh, something you mentioned a little bit earlier, um, if I may, um, about uh, you said, you know, for example, if you've got, um, you know, you, you've got a goal that within, let's say, five years, you'd like to become a subject coordinator, for example, yep. um, and you, you might want to start taking some or doing some middle management more um, middle leader style PD days. Yeah. How how, do, how would you approach that? How would you you know if if you if you um, 
obviously five years is a long time, and um, PD budgets are stretched as it is. And you know, how, how do you how do you have that conversation with, for example, the AP or whoever it is that runs, uh, you know, does the approval of those yeah. to be able to say, look, I want to do this middle leadership course. I want to be a middle leader within five years. If something, you know, sometimes if it's something that doesn't get an immediate return, it might get knocked back. So how do you, how I guess, how do you balance the, how would you balance that professional development of having that immediate return, but also still being able to um, achieve your own personal professional goals? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the question is, will the school support you in that directly as in with funds? Um some schools won't, some coordinators won't, um, uh, you know, some bosses won't, um, but many will because I, I'd like to think that most leaders of schools, you know, really value education and learning for their colleagues as well um, and for the people under them in a hierarchical sense. So I'd like to think that principals have an, um, you know, an openness but also an obligation to provide you with those opportunities to say, okay, well, you know, in your professional learning plan, it might just be for this year at your school, you know, an annual sort of deal um, that, that we all have to do. But, um, yeah, one of your long-term goals that you might talk about with someone who is um, a sort of critical friend at the school is how do I achieve those things? You know, who is the person that I talk to? Um, if you're in a system, maybe it's someone at head office that can support you in that sort of stuff um, because there may not be a job at your current school. Um, and, and they may not be for, for the foreseeable future. Someone really capable might be in that role and have just gotten the job, right? And as much as you love the school, the reality is that you'll probably have to leave if in the, within the next five years you want to do that role too. Um, so I think having that conversation fairly early about where you're going professionally, where you think you're going um, and what the possibilities are within the school and within that budget and that um, consciousness, I suppose, is really important to have and you might have to have it with four or five people and get different perspectives. The other part is what if you get knocked back, you know, what if you get zero support from your school or your system um, to do any sort of training in any particular area? Um, well, I would argue that you've just got to, you know, look at yourself in the mirror and say how important is this to me because, um, you know, I've being a new dad, um, as you are, you find suddenly time is something incredibly precious. <laughs> um, and uh, whereas before I was kind of flippant with things, you know, I wouldn't have been able to help start TeachMeet, for example, if, if I had had a newborn. Um, but but that was a decision I made was to help grow this thing um, in my in my time. I could have done a degree in that time, and I did do some postgrad study. But um, you know, the school didn't pay anything towards that. They occasionally let me off early in a free period if I had one to go to a lecture or something like that or um, maybe I had an exam or two that I had to go to. But see, in most awards as well, there's provision for that, you know. So if you are doing some sort of postgrad qualification, then you sort of have to be allowed to go for exam or, or whatever. So but you don't want to get to that point. What you want to do is build a really respectful um, relationship with your superiors and with your colleagues and say, look, here's, here's where I want to go. I mean, you might want to retrain in a – you know, one of you, our Hass colleagues might want to retrain as a maths teacher, as a science teacher, or something like that, or just add that to their to their um, portfolio. You know, um, immediate benefit to their teaching practice, maybe something in terms of the pedagogical side of things. Um, I'd like to think that any formal study done, like I did a master's of history, for example, that wasn't 
directly related to my teaching except that I chose subjects that were, you know, um, and I did a few subjects just for the hell of it because I, I loved it, like international relations stuff. But incidentally, of course, those subjects do help in my in expanding my mind into those areas to teach history and to teach other subjects. So I don't think there's ever a, a reason not to try something, you know, not to try some kind of learning um, but, you know, you've got to be professional, you've got to be an adult, and you've got to go have those conversations with people pretty early on. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks very much for that, Matt. Um, now, I've been seeing a lot of ads online lately. I want to just get your view on this, um, on how you feel about it, particularly with, you know, needing to get the hours done and that, that worry that people have of, oh, you know, oh, God, I've got to get these hours in. Um, I'm seeing a lot of ads online from professional development companies, um, and it's not billed as... Um, you know, learn this new skill, it's valuable, or, you know, learn how to do this because it'll be great for your students. It's um, more along the lines of get your hours up for only twenty nine ninety nine for an online yeah. course. That'll give you five yeah. hours. What, what are your views on that, on that sort of style there? Look, I mean, there's so many marketing, marketing approaches, right? And, and people, um, like I said, there are plenty of PD providers that provide really high quality stuff, but to cut through the ridiculous amount of marketing that is there and not just for PD but for products and services and, and assistance and all sorts of things um, that you don't even have to be on Twitter or Facebook or anything to get. Like the, I'm talking pigeonholes, you know. <laughs> like I don't know about you but I still get a crazy amount of stuff just sent to me um, about all sorts of things. Um, yep. And I, I, I guess that's the thing is we've got to be critical consumers of all that, right? And, and um yeah, you've just got to be. And things get faxed through. Do you do you have a fax anymore? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. But I'm. I'm I don't know how that happens. I'm, yeah, I think most schools probably do at some point because you know if if the say the consultant or the organisation's been running for twenty plus years, um, it's only pretty recently the faxes for organisations left because like I know doctors or somebody. I can't remember which profession it is. I think it's doctors or someone who still have to have a fax function, whether it's digital or not, because some of their providers still rely on that. Um, and it's this weird self-fulfilling thing. But, um, yeah, it's but, – but, you know, email's a new fax, right? And you just get all these memos in your email. Um, and I guess that's just the way they try and cut through all the, the other marketing is to say, look, um, you know, if, you, if, if this is the only email you read today and you're stressed out about PD hours, then, hey, 30 bucks isn't all that much, is it? Yeah, it's it's sad that it's gotten to that point, but it was pretty inevitable too. Like as soon as it becomes a a mandated, um, accountable government thing, um, all sorts of people come out of the woodwork. And you know, I've I've benefited from that myself. You know, having run accredited PD and teach meets and all this stuff, where you know some people are motivated by the fact that they you know that they could lose their teaching job or position or whatever because they don't keep them about. Yeah. That yeah. is highly, highly unlikely to happen. The only people I really do worry about um, in that sense are people who are outside of the metro areas, um, many of whom I've, I've met and my wife's from the country too, so I'm sort of keenly aware of that, um, that those issues. Um, and it is, it's it's an option because really what do companies say? Well, they say, well, we're not going to send our consultant out to talk to, you know, 10 people in you know, Dubbo RSL, um, do an online course because that's a lot more economically efficient. But, of course, online works to an extent and I'm the first person to say, you know, use technology where appropriate. But um, 
face to face just you know there's no there's no substitute for it so until the tech gets that good that it f- genuinely feels like we're sitting in the same room and you can get all those body um you know body language and and um insights and tone and all that stuff that comes through um yeah i think i think really the only people i'm worried about with all that that marketing and and the sort of i don't know the really um base stuff is are people who are in that sort of situation where maybe they're not supported at all yeah. through their school or they're in a remote situation and that's their only access is to do that stuff yeah now um i guess if we can, if we can bring it down to a couple of a couple of points um what should people be looking for in a in a, I don't want to say the word legitimate because that makes it sound like any you know anything else is not legitimate. But um, what should people be looking for for a really worthwhile professional development opportunity? And what should people be avoiding? What should what sort of pitfalls should people be sort of aware of when choosing um, or looking for some professional learning opportunities? Yeah, I reckon try and avoid things that you really could learn through YouTube or from a quick Google search. You know, um, I think don't don't go to stuff that's just chalk and talk um, unless there is some element of interactivity specifically built into it Um, because, yeah, life's too short, you know, to sit and listen to a boring lecture um, just to get an hour of PD, um, especially in Sydney if you're driving an hour to get there and an hour to get home or whatever. So I think be choosy about that idea of interactivity if it's not interactive in any way, shape or form, but also if it's you know, ask ask people whether it is or not, you know, chuck it out on Twitter or chuck it out on Facebook or whatever and say, look, I'm thinking of going to this thing. Has anyone been before? What did you think of it? Get that transparency going if if the organisations aren't being transparent about that stuff. Um, so I guess, yeah, be, be choosy about interactivity um, so that you can actually ask questions to the presenters that don't just, you know, rock off um, when their time's done. Um, another one for me, uh, would be don't be dazzled by, um, by huge events. Like, um, you know, I've been to Edutech, for example, the big technology and education conference that's now. Yep. As, as have I, yeah. And there are, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teachers who go along who have no idea why they're there. It's just that they've, they've been sucked into the marketing a little bit, I'd say. Um, and, and, yep. you know, they say it's the biggest conference in Australia. And you're like, yeah, that's great, but how's it helping you in the classroom? You know, like because if you go to Edutech or any of those other big conferences for two or three days and you only come away with one or two things, um, on the one hand, how much can you really take out of a professional learning experience and translate into your own context and do it well? Probably only one or two things really. Um, but, yeah, I just think that's three days of your time, you know. I'd rather you do one day of really, really good, interactive, amazing brain-frying PD um, and then sit on the beach and think about it for two days. And uh, I think that's the other thing too is to plan the time afterwards to really um, to implement what you've learnt because, yeah, lots of people come back into the the day-to-day stuff of school and completely forget what they learnt on the PD day as well. And I guess the, the very last thing would be don't just do what you've always done. Um, if, you know, it's your 10th time at this particular history workshop by the same people at the same place with the same people that you meet and have a nice lunch with, um, do something else, you know, tr- stretch yourself a little bit. Yeah, fantastic. Um, uh, this, this has been a great chat, Matt. Thank you very much for your insight on professional yeah, learning. Right. 
Um, do you have any final words before we wrap up? Um, I guess, yeah, just don't forget that you are an individual as well. Um, like there's, there's just going to be so much busy stuff happening at, at your school and you'll feel, I know most teachers feel very obliged to do everything, you know, for the school and for the students and things like that. But, you know, try a few things that you just find really fascinating or interesting um, and see if anything sticks because, yeah, you just really never know what, where inspiration will come from and we all need that we don't just need pd we need professional learning and professional inspiration so yeah do it for yourself sometimes too fantastic well thank you very much for your time matt absolute pleasure hopefully we can uh speak to you again at some stage for the yeah, podcast for sure and good luck with it mate it's a great initiative thank you for listening to continue the conversation find us on twitter at hashtag housechat. this podcast is part of the australian educators online network AEON.net.au